Jesus and his brothers, we talked about a little bit in Sunday school. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. And his mother, this is Jesus' mother, who was Mary, and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, I imagine Jesus did something like this. He's just looking at the disciples and others, the crowd. He said, um, he said, who, who, who are my brother and, and my mother? Who are my mother and my brothers in verse 33, verse 34? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Turn really quickly to Luke chapter 8, Luke 8, 19. Luke 8, 19. And here's what it says in Luke 8, 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he, or Jesus, was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother... And my brothers, and I'm going to add parenthetically, and my sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, so this particular passage of Scripture, this is exciting because three of the, well, we, we call them, what well, theologians call them, synoptic. Synoptic means synopsis. There they are providing a part of the same story it's sort of syncopated it's synchronized so three of the four gospels or what are called the synoptic gospels that's matthew mark and luke matthew mark and luke are called synoptic gospels because they all tell the same story but they tell it from a different slightly different point of view john is not considered a synoptic gospel because john does not actually tell the story of jesus chronologically he doesn't give you a narrative a step-by-step play-by-play look john goes into a whole different uh, he goes into an entirely different look at the life of jesus he looks more at the lord's teachings and he does it's more interpretive in other words if you're reading a newspaper article you're reading an article a true journalist is a, a true journalist is, is supposed to give you the story without any commentary. He's supposed to give you his opinion. Look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke as sort of being journalists. Look at John as sort of being a commentator. John gives us more of a in-depth look, a, a not slanted look, but a more of an insight into Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings. So John doesn't actually comment on this particular passage, but I'm going to share something with you from John here in a couple seconds that I think um, that I think I actually will. Uh, by the way, I didn't do the one word rap today because we had so much going on and we have some things still to come. But I, I, I was thinking, like, should I if I did the one word rap, should it be based on Reg's sermon last week? Because I took notes. I don't know if you guys did. Or should it be based on Sunday school today and the fact that we send out the lesson? So I decided we'll do it next week. But listen, let me just say something on that note real quick. We send out the notes on Thursday mornings. Typically, that's my practice to try to get it out on Thursday mornings. 
And you get both the Sunday school lesson and the sermon notes because they're essentially one and the same. Please take the time to read them. Please take time to at least look them over. It gives you better, uh, better understanding of what we're going to be talking about. Watch this, and this is really interesting. And I think you become more participatory when you have looked at the lesson, and it's more meaningful when we share with you. Amen. Don't make me stand up here and lecture. It's just totally boring, and you guys will be sleeping 15 minutes, and I'll have you know wasted a week of my life preparing for a lesson that very few people really got the meaning of. So don't make me lecture. I'd rather have a dialogue. Amen. And you don't even have to say anything. If I just see you nodding your heads or you're, you're, you nod your head, you're taking notes, you, you look like you're uh, in, engaged. And, and, and again, we're, we're just short on time today because we have the Lord's table and a lot of other things. But I have got a video clip I wanted to show you guys uh, of what, what is bad listening versus good listening or the difference between passive and acting, active listening. But I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. But I had a really nice video that I found on YouTube that I think epitomizes the whole concept of what we do on Sundays and how we engage, how we receive the word, how we keep it from becoming mundane and routine. And that's what I try to do. I don't try to do it with tricks and, and sleight of hand. I try to do it really with, um, I try to do it with, with the word being engaging and interesting because the word to me is exciting all by itself. Even though I know I do a lot of show and tells, I do a lot of demonstrations and stuff. It's, it's not for the sake of that I need to enhance the word because the word is just unbelievably next level exciting by itself. But it helps me in my poor attempt to personify the words or to present the words. It helps me get the message across a little better. So that's why I will use sometimes word pictures. I'll try to use uh, occasionally little uh, show and tell demonstrations or a video clip or something that helps illuminate what the Word of God says. But the Word of God stands on its own. It needs no embellishment. Amen. You all with me? It needs no enhancement. It needs no kind of, you know, entertainment value to it. It is exciting all by itself. So Jesus has this amazing encounter where he's teaching. People are coming from everywhere. He is just in, he is just there's just a, a crowd that's suffocating him almost. It says in one passage that he wasn't even able to go and get something to eat because the crowd was so dense. And, and you know, watching The Chosen, I can see that uh, because you, there are scenes where you just see these throngs of people uh, that are just have Jesus so surrounded that he can't even. I'm wondering how he could breathe sometimes because people were just everywhere. Unfortunately, unfortunately, guys, if you read John 6, a lot of them were there for the wrong reasons. They were there for the fish and the loaves. They were there for what they could get out of it. They were there for a miracle. They were there for a healing. They were there for the sensationalism. They were there just because they were looky-loos and bystanders. They were there because maybe they wanted to see if there was going to be some freebies. Whatever. It's, when, you, when, you, when you look at what Jesus had when he started, starting, say, with the Sermon on the Mount, all the way till the end, the crowds just dwindled. When Jesus started calling for a commitment, stay with me, please. When Jesus started calling for a commitment, people just start scattering like, you know, rats. Just they were off. They were done. 
in John 6, it says many, many of his disciples. And I, I, I talked about this before, but I love this. And you guys need to go back and look at it. In John 6, 60 through 666, if you look at it, the word disciple is used. And it says many of his disciples. Doesn't matter what translation, you get the same thing. Learners, pupils, students, followers. Many of them stopped following him because he was asking for a commitment. He wasn't asking for money, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't say you got to give more tithes. You got to give more offerings. You got to donate more to our ministry. He was asking them to commit to following him. And the language suggests that they were no longer interested because he wasn't going to do any more miracles. He wanted them to follow him because of him, Justin. He wanted them to follow him because of who he was, not what he did. It's like the passage in Psalms that says the Lord is, you know, that Moses knew the Lord's, Israel knew the Lord's acts, but, the, but Moses knew the Lord's ways. I want to be one of those people that know the Lord. I want to trust the Lord. I want to follow the Lord because of who he is. Not what he's done for me necessarily. Because there may be times where I need a miracle where things are going bad and I'm having a really rough week or rough day. I don't want that to taint who God is and my view of who God is. I can have hard times without it changing the fact that God is still good. Amen. God is always good. Whenever there's a problem, it's on me. It's either because of me, something I did, and I'm reaping the repercussions of that, or it's because the Lord has taken me to it through something for the sake of building me up and strengthening me and teaching me something. It's never because God isn't good. Amen? It's never because God isn't good. So his family is saying, dude, what's, what's up with you? They thought he was mad. You know, there are passages in, in John 7 that, 7 that says his brothers didn't even believe in him. Many of his brothers didn't believe in him at the beginning of his ministry. It seems like James came around, James who wrote the book of James and became the head of the church of Jerusalem. He started to believe Jesus. But at first, his sisters weren't into him. His brothers weren't into him. There's even slight evidence, you know, anecdotally at least, that Mary wasn't into him for a while. Like, you know, she, there, there was... There was question as to whether he was, in fact, God's son or not. The fact that he was divinity or that he was the son of God or that he was, in fact, the Messiah. They questioned that. They questioned his sanity. His, his mental state came into play. That, that seems to be really drastic that you, especially those that grew up with him, you know, I know that he may have been their half-brother, but, you know, they should still have seen his, his life, his works, I don't think Jesus ever had to get a spanking. Wouldn't you agree? I don't think Jesus ever got, got a time out. You know, that's from our white listeners. I don't think that Jesus ever got, just kidding, just kidding. I don't think Jesus was ever put on punishment, right? I, I don't think so. Breezy, I'm going to be in trouble. I know. I'm just I know. If you guys don't know me after 31 years, I'm, I'm toast. So Jesus was just not a regular person but he was still 100% human, right? He was still 100% human and he was 100% divine. What a mighty God uh, we serve. So, amen. The Lord deserves a hand clap for that uh, because he is that good. He's that good. 
Okay, so in conclusion, I'm wrapping this up. Here's here's what I got locked on when I was pre uh, prepping this week. Uh, you preachers, you preachers, Rod, Todd, Reg, Coach, uh, you guys will uh, appreciate you appreciate this here uh, in verse in verse 21 of Luke. It says, he answered them and said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So I got locked there. I got locked there because the theme of our church is James 1.22. Or James 1.22. Be hearers, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And, we, and you know, normally we quote that. Normally we quote that, be hearers of the word and not, be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? We quote that a lot. But there's a latter part to verse 22. It wasn't on our banner. I don't have the banner uh, in front of me. It's probably hanging up somewhere in the back room. Uh, but, the, but the point is that there's a latter part of that verse and it says, deceiving yourselves. That's a key part of the verse. It's left off in most quotations. Most times you hear James 1.22 quoted, you hear, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's cool. I'm down with that. That's a great thing. It's what, what, what started our, our, our congregation. But the latter part to me is equally important. It says, deceiving yourselves which suggests to me that some people, some people are deceived into thinking that just being a hearer is sufficient. That just being in the room, just being in the congregation, just being in the sanctuary, just having your name on a roll of a church, just being a member of a congregation, just being a part of a church family, being a part of a family, maybe your parents were saved, maybe your parents were Christians, quote unquote Christians, maybe your parents were members of a church. That doesn't count toward your salvation. It doesn't count toward your conversion, guys. Jesus' family did not get a pass. His brothers and sisters still needed to be saved. His mother, I'm sorry, Catholic friends, his, even his mother still needed to be saved. She needed to make a decision, an acceptance that Jesus is, in fact, God. He is, in fact, the Messiah. He is, in fact, the Lord and Savior. And no one comes to the Father without coming through Jesus. You can't bypass Jesus and hop, skip, jump, hop over to God. Say, I worship God, I serve God, but not Jesus. Sorry. And the Bible says in John 10, 10, and Justin could quote it if he wasn't on his phone. The Bible says that, no, he's not on his phone. He's talking to Marcus, probably about my audio not being where it should be. But, but John 10, 10 says that, he, that those that come any other way comes as a thief and a robber, right? But... He said, I come in John 10, 10, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You might have life. The Greek word is Zoe, abundant life, God kind of life, a, agape life, a life of love. That's what he says. So it says that you got to hear the word of God and do it to be considered Jesus' brother or sister. And so hearing and the Greek there means, it's this word, it's, it's, it's pronounced akuo. It's spelled A-K-O-U-O. -O. It's the root word from, we, from whence we get our word acoustics, akuo, acoustics. It's about hearing. It's about audibly processing sounds, noises, distinct tones. And listen to this. There is a difference, obviously, between, in the natural sense, between hearing and listening, okay? You can hear involuntarily you guys hear me right now you hear me even if you're asleep you still hear me and shame on you i know who you are <laughs> i see you back i see you back there even if you hear me and you're not listening you can still audibly decipher tones right 
That's hearing. Hearing is involuntary. Hearing is something that happens because you have ears, because you have the ability to, to, to process audible input and audible stimuli from your ears. That's hearing. You can do that without paying attention. You can do that without listening. You can do that without concentrating on what's being said. You don't even have to understand what you're hearing, but your ears will process the sounds, right? That's hearing in the most fundamental sense. I, was, I read an article this week in Psychology Today about hearing and listening, and it was talking about the audible processing that goes on subconsciously, subliminally, when you hear sounds. You may not even always think you're not processing it, but something is still being registered. There's some sort of electronic brain activity. There's some connections. That's why subliminal and, and, and talking or, or communication, that's like, like a secondary communication, kind of like secondary smoke. Secondary communication, sometimes referred to as DIN, D-I-N. You still hear that, and it's still doing something. That's why, listen, you say, Pastor, well, what are you talking about, dude? You're way off, off course here. No, I'm not. I'm getting to a point. The people on the Super Bowl, like the, for instance, the ad that was the uh, Christian ad about uh, he gets us, those ads cost, they ran two. They were $10 million apiece. I said that because advertisers have learned that they spend money, even when you go and get a bologna sandwich during the commercial, even when you go to the bathroom, even when you walk away, they know that if you can hear that sound, even if you're not thinking about Pepsi, even if you're not thinking about Subway, even if you're not thinking about Charmin toilet tissue, they know subliminally that message is getting through and you're processing it you may not actually try to remember it you may not write it down you may not make a note of it but they know the next time you see that product or that service in the store on a billboard in a magazine and an internet ad or any type of discussion that, that comes up it's going to recall do y'all hear me it's going to recall what you heard, what you saw, what you, what you experienced, and register, oh, that must be important, or this must be good, or this must be cool, or this must be a bargain, whatever. Hearing is something that's done involuntarily. Listening, on the other hand, same word in the Greek, akuo, listening, listening is focusing. I said it three times to get you guys' attention. <laughs> listening, listening is focusing. Listening is processing deliberately. There's a difference between passive listening and active listening. Passive listening is what I describe, which can be considered hearing. You hear it because your ears processing processes noises. Active listening is when you engage and you're listening with the intent to understand and to apply. See, there's, there's the key. And that's what Jesus said. Not just hearing the word. You my brothers and sisters. You're my mother because you're not, just, you're not just hearing the word, but you're applying the word. You're doing it. You're listening with the intent to perform. You're listening with the intent to apply it. Are you all with me? I'm almost done. I, I'm, I'm going to be done in less than five minutes. I just want to make sure that you get this because I think 
this is an important message. The fact that the Lord would record it in three different gospels, three out of four gospels. I think that is important that we get this message that the Lord wants us to not only hear him, but he wants us to obey him. He wants us to process it. And there's a great example. There's a great example that I'll say in my last closing minutes of, of, of that over in John chapter 11. Uh, you, I'm sorry, it's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. John 11 is when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And Jesus had the great saying, Jesus wept in 1135. But in John 10, there's this amazing encounter. It's only recorded once in the Bible. It's John 10, 38 through 42. And listen what happened. I'm going to explain it to you while you look at it, because I only got a few minutes. Jesus, John 10, 38. I'm sorry, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke, Luke. I'll say it again, Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Jesus went to Bethany. Where's Bethany? It's a little suburb of Jerusalem, maybe a couple miles outside of the city limits. It's where Lazarus lived, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead over in, that's why I keep saying the John, over in John 11. John 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He's at this same house. I don't know where Lazarus is. Lazarus' name is not mentioned in the context in this passage, but Mary and Martha is. So Jesus is invited to Mary and Martha's house. By the way, it's Martha's house. I'm imagining that Mary perhaps is unmarried. Maybe she's divorced. Maybe she's a widow. She's living with Martha, but it's Martha's house. Martha owns the house, the property. Jesus comes over for dinner, right? Y'all with me? Jesus comes over for dinner. Martha being the host, being the homeowner, prepares the Lord perhaps including the Lord, his disciples, because seemingly Jesus never traveled alone. He always had an entourage. At the minimum, he would have his 12 disciples. He comes in these 13 hungry, rusty, crusty, musty men. And I can say that because they've been walking in the desert with sandals on all day in the sun. It's safe to say that how I described it was what happened, right? They're hungry, they're tired, they're dusty, they're dirty, they're sweaty, they're ready to rest. And they come in and Martha is starting to fix this massive meal. By the way, in previous sermons, I've criticized Martha slightly for not being where she could have been. But anyone that's ever had unexpected guests or even expected guests to your home you're preparing a meal. You want things to be right. You want to show yourself hospitable. Long story short, Martha's in the kitchen fixing the meal. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Matter of fact, I looked up three different passages. Whenever I see Mary of Bethany mentioned, you can do this, a little research project for you. Whenever you see Mary of Bethany mentioned, she's always at Jesus' feet. Isn't that a great place to be? Always learning, always listening, active listening, not passive listening. Martha was passively listening in the kitchen while she was fixing the lamb chops and the turkey and the mac and cheese and the dressing and the cranberry sauce and the whatever else she had. And maybe she had none of those things. But she was probably passively listening because the house isn't big enough for her to perhaps be out of earshot. Mary, on the other hand, was sitting at Jesus' feet. She was sitting at Jesus' feet here in Luke 10, 39. 
She was sitting at Jesus' feet in John 11, 32, when he was sharing the loss of her brother Lazarus with Jesus. She was sitting at Jesus' feet in John 12, 3, when she poured this expensive alabaster oil that was worth a, a year's wages on his feet, anointed his feet, dried his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. That was Mary of Bethany. Three times, whenever we hear her name, she's at the feet of Jesus. What a place to be, what a reputation. What a way to be identified that whenever your name is brought up, you're at the Lord's feet listening, learning, growing. Amen? So much to take from that. I love it. And, fi and finally, it says here that Martha got just fed up. She thought this is just outrageous. We got these 13 hungry men here, and my sister is in here chilling with Jesus. That's just not right. So she protests. She expressed her displeasure with the Lord. And here's what the Lord said to her. So kind. I can just see the Lord saying this so kind, so gently. I can see him being so sweet. He said, Martha, Martha. By the way, whenever Jesus says something twice, like verily, verily, Martha, Martha, it's equivalent to, it's, it's equivalent to your mother calling you by your government name. <laughs> Willie Harris Robinson wow. Jr. When she uses all four, in my case, four, some of y'all might be three, some of y'all might be hyphenated, you might have five names. When you're called by every name that's associated with you, you know is not a good thing, okay? No one calls you by your government name unless they got something really important to say, probably something that you won't like, right? This is what Jesus says, Martha, Martha. That's equivalent to calling her, you know, all of her names. Martha, Martha. In other words, listen, listen, chill. It's all right. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. That's what he says. The New English translation says that you're anxious. That's basically, you know, stressed. You're stressed. You're upset. You're perturbed. You're ached. You're upset with your sister. Over many things, probably, you know, there wasn't enough meat. We need more spices. We need more drink. Can you get more water? The spaghetti is burning. You know, whatever is going on, Martha is not real cool about it. And the Lord says, but one thing is necessary. Just one thing. That's what Matthew, Mark, and Luke said. It's just one thing. You want to be Jesus' brother, his sister, his mother? You want to be a part of Jesus' family? He said, just one thing is necessary. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen to me. And you can't obey if you don't know what to obey. So Mary was in a position where she could learn what to obey. She was getting the instructions. She said, Martha, Martha, it's going to be all right. We're going to eat. We're not going to starve. Look at these guys. You know, these guys are in pretty good shape. You know, they may not have been fat as I am, but they certainly wasn't on starvation roll. They weren't ready to, you know, check out. They're going to live. Whenever the food is ready, whatever you put before us, we're going to live, right? So, so, I, so I, made a, I made an observation. Jesus wasn't scolding Mary for what she, she was. I'm sorry, Jesus wasn't scolding Martha for what she was doing because serving the Lord is necessary. Serving the Lord is important. Jesus was perhaps mildly scolding Martha for when she was doing it. It wasn't what she was doing. It was when she was doing it. It wasn't the proper priority. Yes, the men needed to eat. 
But right then, Jesus is perhaps days. I looked at the chronology of it. He's probably coming up on the Passion Week right there. He's literally days from being hung on the cross. You need to be, not to use a pun, hanging on to every word he's saying, right? This is, this is, his, this is his final speech. This, this is his final uh, time together. He's not going to be in Bethany again. Sit and listen. Check out what he has to say. Listen and learn. Learn and do. That's what he was asking her to do. He wasn't scolding her for serving. They needed to eat. We need to do work. We need to serve. We need to perform good deeds, good tasks. But our work should come out as a result of our faith. We should work from faith, not working to please or to be saved. We should be working from the fact that we're saved. Amen. Don't be too busy that you're being busy and not blessed. Mary was being blessed. Martha was just busy. There's a difference. Some people substitute the two and interchange the two. But busyness and, and, and being about God's business are two different things. Here's a Monday morning moment. There are good ideas and then there are God ideas. I might have used that before, but perhaps not with this particular context. Always choose God's idea. There are good ideas and there are God ideas. Martha had a good idea. Mary had a God idea. Only one thing is necessary. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for our service so far. We thank you for the music that's about to come. We thank you for your Lord, for your table that we're about to observe. Please help us to be worthy, forgiven, excused, and, and blessed in that we have released our brothers and sisters from any faults or any offenses that they may have with us or we may have with them. May we receive your table with holy hands. We ask you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand clap because he's worthy.